If you have your Bible now in Job chapter number 37, verse number 10, we'll stand momentarily in reverence to the reading of the scriptures, make our prayer and get into our text this morning. Notice I want to read one verse of scripture this morning for the sake of time to go straight to our context. In verse number 10 of Job chapter number 37, by the breath of God, frost is given and the breath of the waters is straightened. Father, as we come before your throne this morning, we thank you for this church. Thank you for the choir, the specials, for the spirit of thy people. Lord, I would ask you that you'll continue to bless in this service. If there's one here that's lost, may the Holy Spirit of God bring conviction, lead them to the place of repentance, to turn from their sin, to turn to the Savior. I would ask you that you'll continue to strengthen and encourage those that are here this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage the discouraged, bend the brokenhearted, and I pray that you'll be with our pastor this morning. May your good hand of grace be upon him. Lord, may you give him a full and speedy recovery. Lord, I pray you'll continue to empower him, have your hand upon him. God, as he guides our church and our own lives and our families, may you have your wisdom upon him. May the Spirit of God rest upon him. As he stands, help him to continue to be a mighty man of God, used as a tool, a vessel, an instrument in the hand of God. Thank you for this church today. Bless now in our services, and I pray that you'll give thy servants your divine power and your divine presence, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to look at our text this morning, and there is one word uh, that I want to emphasize this morning. Notice in the opening statement of Job 37, Job says, by the breath of God, frost is given. Notice that word, a breath, and the phrase, the breath of God. This morning, by the help of God, I would like to speak on that subject, on the breath of God. The Bible has much to say concerning the scriptures, in the scriptures, concerning the breath of God. And I'm afraid that in America, the light is going dim and the lamps are being trimmed and the lamps are being put out and extinguished in our nation. We're in a day and age which we need the breath of God upon our services, upon our lives. And I'm afraid the lights are going out in America and we need the breath of God upon this nation, upon our churches, upon our pulpits, upon our preachers and upon Christians in this nation. We need the breath of God. Time would not allow me to give the background and the history of all the text in the scriptures concerning the breath of God this morning. But as I recently begin to study and as I begin to consider the breath of God, the Bible has much to say concerning this subject. This morning, by the help of God and the grace of God, I'd like to deal with three specific references to the breath of God and examine them and make application to today's society and for us this morning. But I believe in order to lay a foundation for the message this morning and our text that we need to be reminded of who God is. There is so much in the Bible speaking of God and making reference of God that literally we would have a hard time retaining it all in our scriptures and then our mind and which is revealed in the scriptures. May I remind us this morning that this Bible that I hold in my hand and the Bible you hold in your hand is not all that God knows. It's just all that God has chosen to reveal to man. God could have made more than 66 books in our Bible to reveal his state and his character and his omniscience and omnipotence and his omnipresence, but God chose 66 books, the context of the scripture, to reveal to you and I who he is and what he is all about. The Bible tells us in the scriptures and the word of God that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible teaches that God is the spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God has many attributes. I want you to know, I'll mention just a few this morning. First, I want to remind you that God is infinite. God is immutable. God is self-sufficient. God is omniscient, omnipresent, and God is omnipotent. God is sovereign this morning. God is all wise and all knowing. God is all faithful. God is good. God is just. And the Bible says that God is merciful. God is gracious and God is love. And God is holy and God is just. And these are only a handful of the sovereignty and the attributes of Almighty God. Aren't you glad this morning we serve a God who is all in all and he lacks nothing. God has all resources and God is self-governing. One of the greatest things in the Bible though when we consider the attributes of God, is the very breath of God. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible gives us a description of God. The Bible said his hair is white like wool. The Bible said he had eyes, and I've mentioned this before in our message some time ago, a year and a half ago, we preached, I believe, here on the subject matter of heaven. God has eyes. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro upon the earth. God has hands. His hand is not shortened that he cannot save. He has feet. He has a posterity. When he comes, riding on a white horse. We find many attributes of God and, and a description of Almighty God. But one description that is often overlooked is the breath of God. God is able to breathe, and there's a unique attribute to the breath of God. I want to take our Bibles this morning and go to Psalm 139 and verse number 14. The psalmist says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. You know that he's making reference of the creation and God is, is making reference of God's creation of man. God created the world and saw that it was good. He created all the vegetation, the creatures, the plants, the valleys and the mountains. He created the sun, moon, stars, planets and galaxies. And yet the Bible said, God said it was good. But the masterpiece of God was yet to be seen. The Bible said that God took a clump of dirt from the ground and the Bible said that he formed man from the dust of the earth. And I want to remind you that man was nothing more than a clump of clay, a speck of dust in the hand of Almighty God. But something happened to give man life. Something happened to cause man to be able to live and move and breathe and have their being. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis in chapter number two and verse number seven, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. May I say to you, my friend, without the breath of Almighty God, man is nothing but a clump of clay. Without the hand of God and the breath of God, man is nothing more than a dead carcass and has no life whatsoever. But the breath of God made the difference. I say to you today, we need the breath of God. The Bible tells us and teaches us that the breath of God made man a living soul. It is what sets man apart from all other of the creation of Almighty God. He made the sun, moon, stars, and planets of vegetation and the creeping things, but God did not breathe upon them. 
But he made man and God breathed into his nostrils. And the very essence of God's existence is in the breath of God. And when God breathes upon that which is recorded in the Bible, that which he breathes upon comes to life. And there's life in the breath of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter number two, verse one through five, and you hath he quickened. And the word quickened in this text means to be made alive. May I submit to you, my friend, this morning that when a sinner bows before God in salvation and puts their faith and trust in him, God gives them life. They have the breath of life upon their heart, their soul, and for the first time, man becomes alive. The Bible says in our text of Ephesians 1, the Bible said, and you have the quickened who thank God for past tense words, who were dead in trespasses and sin. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm glad my sins are G-O-N-E gone never to be remembered again. I was a vile, wicked sinner before I was saved. I was godless and helpless and hopeless. And I went to God and bowed my knees and my heart and received him into my heart. And he forgave me of all of my sins and cleansed me from all of my transgressions and breathed upon me the breath of life and gave me his son, Jesus Christ. His shed blood washed all my sins away. And I became a new creature in him. But that's what I used to be. The Bible says in our text, the Bible said we were in, in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air. He goes on down in verse number three in the latter part of the verse, he says the, of, the, of the desires of the flesh and of the mind. But notice in verse number four, thank God for the word but. It's a transitional word. It's a contrasting word. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, here's that word again, hath quickened us together with Christ by, the, uh, by his grace, uh, we are saved, the Bible teaches us. Thank God for the breath of God. The breath of God is first mentioned in the book of Genesis and gave life to a clump of clay. Ephesians 2, 5, 17. The Bible tells us that we become new creatures in Christ Jesus when we put our faith and trust in him. The old man is what I used to be, but now that I've come to Christ, I used to drink from a bottle, but now I drink from a fountain. I used to walk in darkness and now I walk in the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I used to be bound by sin. Now I'm loosed by the Savior. I thank God for the day I put my faith and trust in him and thank God for the breath of God in the matter of salvation. Notice if you would please secondly with me this morning in the book of Matthew in chapter number 16 and verse number 18. The Bible says, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In the book of Acts, in chapter number one into chapter number two, 120 disciples gathered in an upper room. In obedience to the Lord's command, 
He asked them to tarry into Jerusalem, or in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And here they gathered in the upper room, waiting for the presence and the feeling and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Then the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. My friend, we have here the disciples in the upper room waiting on the promise of the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden in their unity and waiting in one accord, all of a sudden the Spirit of God swept through that room. And the Bible said it was as the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And when you look at the word wind in the context of that scripture, you'll find that it is making reference to a breeze or a breath. And there in that upper room as they gathered together waiting on God to send them the power of the Holy Spirit of God. All of a sudden there was a sound descended upon them in that upper room. And the Bible said that a breeze began to blow. The breath of God began to pass through the disciples. And the Bible said they were filled with the power and the presence of Almighty God. May I say to you that the breath of God not only gave life to humanity in a clump of clay, but the breath of God gives life to a church. As we begin to preach all across this nation in various churches around the globe, there are many churches today, and I'm not trying to be caustic or critical or negative this morning, but an honest before a holy God, it is the truth that I speak. There are many churches today, multitudes, yea, thousands of churches that need the breath of God upon them. Thank God for a church where we can come and worship the Lord. Thank God for a church with a choir that stands and speaks and the breath of God moves across the choir and down through the, uh, the pews and the congregation. Thank God for the breath and the power of God upon our lives and in our midst. I say to you, we need the breath of God. I've been studying on the autopsy of a dead church and one of the predominant things that I've noticed on dying churches or churches that have died is this. They turn, and it's, to me it's the most prominent, they turn from an outward ministry to an inward ministry. It is all about them and their programs. It is all about them uh, taking care of their needs. And I understand the necessity of a church. I understand that. And I understand the needs we have as members. And I understand the needs of our family. And I understand the, the position of a church and biblically, in biblical context concerning those needs. But my friend, a dying church or a church that has died has turned internally. They are no longer involved in external ministry. They have forgotten world missions. They have forgotten a community in need of the gospel of Christ. 
They have forgotten their family members and loved ones who need the Lord. They have forgotten the community needs evangelizing. They have forgotten these things. And a, a dying church always turns inward. I thank God this morning I'm a member of a church that is not involved in having an autopsy, but a church that's involved in missionaries and standing and presenting their ministries and a pastor who has an outward vision to reach the world with the gospel of Christ, our community, and to fill the empty pews in our church and to reach out and reach sinners with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say to you this morning, we need the breath of God on our churches in America. I was in a church some time ago and I'll not even say the state. But I believe in it and I understand there's times when the Holy Spirit of God moves and there's a holy hush and you can't hardly get a holy grunt because of the conviction and the presence and the power of Almighty God. I understand that and I'm not knocking that. But I was in a church some time ago I'd almost gave $100 for at least a grunt. We need God in America and we need God in our churches. My friend, we need the breath of God in our midst. Some time ago, we were meeting with our executive staff and I was going over the life of Joseph. And I had several of our field staff in and 26 or so guys and honestly, I didn't have everything in order as far as where I was going and what I was doing. I just had a scripture on my heart and a burden. And I began to stand with the men and not really preaching, but just uh, telling what was on my heart. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God moved in. One of our men began to groan and say, oh, oh God, we need you. And all of a sudden he was on his knees and within a few moments all of our staff and I had to stop our teaching and get on our knees. Why? Because there was an almighty presence and the breath of God swept through that place. We need the breath of God upon our ministries, upon our churches and upon our homes. And then there's a third thing this morning. Let me briefly give that to you. And that is... The breath of God not only made man a living soul and gave life when God breathed upon it. Not only does the church have life when the breath of God breathes upon it, but my friend, this Bible that I hold in my hand this morning, it is alive this morning. And it is alive because of the breath of God upon it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let me, if I may this morning, uh, say this, that the Bible is alive. It is divine. It is preserved. It is inspired. The word inspiration, it really just comes down to it. It means it's God-breathed. The Bible this morning, the word of God, it is infallible, it's inerrant, it's written in truth, it's God's book, it's alive, it's our foundation. It's written for the simple and confounds the wise. 
It has everything you and I need. The Bible is life-changing. The Bible has staying power. The Bible will change you and I. I say to you this morning that you and I hold in our hands a Bible which is as much alive, in fact, it is more alive than you and I this morning because it was inspired, God breathed. You know, they have a, our brothers going to the state of Utah. I lived in Wyoming for seven years and we had to deal a lot with the Mormons. And they have the Book of Mormon, the uh, Book of Mormon, Book of Mormons, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine of Covenants, and of course their Bible, and they use the King James Bible. So what's the difference in the Bible and the Book of Mormon? If we go to the Smithsonian Institute and we go to Washington, D.C., we have documents of our founding fathers and of our nation. They are preserved. The Quran is preserved. But what sets the Bible apart from all of the books on the planet Earth? I'll tell you what it is. It's inspiration. It's the fact that God breathed and God spoke every single word in our Bible today. You see, God spoke to holy men as they were moved by the Holy Ghost of God. He spoke to them and they penned the words. And my friend, every word in this Bible came from the breath of God as he spoke it to those men. And that means that every Bible or every word in our Bible is inspired. It has the breath of God on it. And because of that, this Bible is alive. You hold in your hand and in your lap this morning and you and I have the Bible, the word of God that is alive because it was spoken by the breath of God. The other books are preserved. They're not inspired. You can burn every Bible on the planet earth, but I got news for you. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This Bible is not settled on earth. It's preserved, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, but it'll remain the same and not one jot or one tittle will be changed because its record is in heaven with the breath of Almighty God. We have a Bible that is inspired because of the breath of God. Ink and paper doesn't make it alive. But the infusion of God's word with the breath of God gives life to the Bible. You see, when God breathes us up on something, it has life. I'll not take the time to go through all of it this morning, but I'll give you just a few things. He breathed upon clay and man became life. He breathed upon dry bones and they came alive. He breathed upon his church and the church has power. He breathed upon his word, and his word has life. We need the breath of God this morning. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 1, 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In case you wondered whether the Bible is alive, 1 Peter says, the Bible liveth. Closing this morning, I like what I came across some time ago in a Christian newspaper or a paper that's not a Christian newspaper, the Wall Street Journal. The article said this, to try to rewrite the King James Bible would be like turning an amateur watchmaker loose on Big Ben. 
That sets the stage for those who try to always correct the Bible. How can we correct? When we try to correct the Bible, we're trying to correct God. Don't throw the Bible out, wear it out. Don't try to change it, let it change you. Sin will keep you from the book and the book will keep you from sin. The Bible is God's word. It has life. And may I say to you today, we need the Bible because we need life in our heart and in our churches and in our ministries. Well, that's just a small glimpse and I wish I had more time to lay a foundation for our text. But we need the breath of God. You say, preacher, why? Because in that breath comes life. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I'll tell you how you can become alive. You see, you're spiritually dead this morning without the Lord. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You have no hope. You're of all men most miserable. Suicide's becoming a leading factor among teenagers today. And not only among teenagers, many say, well, what about Christians? Christians don't ever do that, do they? There's only six people recorded in the Bible that took their life. Only one of them can be debatable about whether they were believers or not, and that would be Judas, who hung himself and the Bible says went to his own place. But Ahithophel, Saul, Saul's armor barrier, Judas, and I'll not go through all of this morning, conservatively and confidently we know that five of them in the Bible that took their life, they were believers. My friend, this morning we need life. We need God. And when we get life, we'll renew our burden for our community and our family members without the Lord. When we get life, God puts a whole different perspective. We no longer think about death. We think about life. We need God's breath this morning. Would we be willing to come and say, Lord, we need thee. Every hour we need thee. Fathers, we bow before you this morning. I don't know the needs that are here in this auditorium, but our Father, you know. I'd ask you this morning, you'll help us to renew our burdens, help us to renew our focus, help us to be renewed by the breath of God. Help us not to take things for granted, our church, our Bible, even life and salvation itself. Help us now, we need thee in Christ's name. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I know what the needs are this morning, but if you need to come, why don't you come to an altar and just say, Lord, I want to renew some things this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you just say, Lord, I need a renewal. I need that. I need you to breathe upon my life. God, I need you this morning to renew in me a right spirit. And God, I need you to strike life back across the strings of my soul that are out of tune out of time.